Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for tuning in on this week's Led by the Word. We're doing a small couple chapters again, 2 Kings chapter 7 and chapter 8. Again, i got to tell you guys, you got to get in on this Bible course. Uh, I come in yesterday and three of the team members, they were in there stuffing 200 new Bible course participants. I was giving someone a tour, and he's like, oh, my goodness, what's going on in here? So we asked him, and it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I remember for years, the most we had was 150. And yesterday, they were stuffing 250 new participants. Yeah. So it's it's growing. Uh, this is 100% free. I encourage you. This isn't denominational. This is just Bibles, questions, and answers. You have to partake and be a part of this. Uh, it's we got pastors doing it. We got bishops doing it. Uh, this isn't just something for the new Christian. This is just to get you studying the Word of God. And like Micah said, there's no commentary. It's literally just Bible. Bible, Bible, Bible. So you're going to get something out of it for sure. So we're going to run through this. Um, if you're with us, Second Kings, turn with us to chapter 7. I'm turning this over to Jessie and let her go through this with us. So we kind of touched on 6 last week where there was a terrible famine in the land. There was a famine so bad that people were actually eating their children. Like, it was horrific. They were Their currency was all messed up, and it was basic supply and demand. The supply was low, the demand was high. So if you've studied any sort of economics, that's what's coming into play here. So they kind of corner Elisha at the end of six and are like, what, you know, what is happening? What is this evil that the Lord's wrought on us? So in seven, Elisha says, well, don't worry about it. Tomorrow, um, it's, we're going to flip the switch. He says in verse one of chapter seven, about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gates of Samaria. Now, I find this interesting in verse 2. It says, Then a Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. Oof. If you stop right there, you're like, Whoa, what is that? That's ominous. That's a surprise till it's coming in real quick. <laughs> so, Final verse is heavy. Let me go ahead and let you know. Spoiler alert, he does not make it. So the most interesting thing happens there is a small camp of lepers. And back then, you know, they had their own quarantine policies. Um, if you read, like, the Mosaic Law, it explains it really well. Basically, you know, leprosy is a skin disease. It's contagious. You can't just be mingling with the general public. You know, otherwise it would be, like, an epidemic or a pandemic. I'm sorry. I'm not really sure what the difference is there. But so they had their own places. Well, these lepers, um, there were four of them. And these men were like, you know what? I'm, we ain't going to die. Let's just go to like the camp of Syria. Like if they kill us, they kill us. I'm sick of living like this. Like they just got fed up. They were done. So they go to the camp of the Syrians and no one's there. They're like, hello, knock, knock. No one is there. Like the horses are tied up. Everything looks like a ghost town. And they're like, what is going on here? So they start spooling the place. Like they're living it up. They're eating, they're drinking. They hide a few things and they're like, I wait love the one leper. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If we stay here till night, something bad is going to happen. We got to spread the good news. Like, we can't just be living it up, us four lepers, you know, up in the Syrian camps, pulling it to death. So we got to go tell the king. So they go to the king's house and they tell him, they're like, yeah, it was the weirdest thing. We went in there and it was empty. Well, why was the camp empty? Because the Lord made the Syrians to hear things that were not there. I am always telling Mike about my auditory hallucinations, which is basically where... I get fluid on my ear and I think I hear people and it's really just 
fluid. So the Lord kind of did this to the Syrian camps. They heard horses and chariots and what the Bible describes as, and I quote, a great host. So in their mind, they're like, oh, well, the king of Israel has outsourced. He's hired kings to come against us. He hired the Egyptians. Us. He hired... I think of the Hittites. The he Hittites. And yeah. he's like, they've got militia coming. And they're like, oh, snap, we got to run. So they empty the camp. So these lepers come in and they're like, hello, where is everyone? But they didn't know that, right? So they just tell the king. And the king's response is so paranoid. And I almost can't blame him. I mean, living through that horrific famine, you know, he's renting his clothes. Like, I understand where he's coming from in verse uh, 12 is his response to this it said and the king arose in the night and said unto his servants i will now show you what the syrians have done to us they know that we be hungry right we're in a famine therefore are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field saying when they come out of the city we shall catch them alive and get into the city there's some deep deep paranoia although that's not a bad strategy i could see why he thought that but it was actually a servant in the king's house who suggested, well, okay, yeah, maybe, but maybe we should check it out. Like, let's just, let's just see. Let's take some action. Let's see what it's about. So sure enough, they send um, messengers with horses. They go there, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's like super empty. Like, the, the guys were not lying, you know. So then we have this uh, prophecy. It's called the Prophecy of Plenty in um, my commentary. But they went out, and they spoiled the camp of the Syrians. And sure enough, in verse 16, it says, So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And here's where it gets a little sad. Verse 17, it says, And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. Right? This is the guy that's talking to Elisha. And the people trod upon him and the gate, and he died, as the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him, and it came to pass as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel, and a measure of fine flour for a shekel, shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And the Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord shall make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. This man was trampled to death. So he did see it. He saw the switch of economy, but he himself did not taste it. You know, uh, I've loved everything you said. A couple of things I just want to touch on quickly. They left, it said they left their donkeys. It left their gold. When the lepers were out there, they went and they were eating. And they're like, oh, this is good food. So they go to the next tent. And they're like, this is good food. And then one of the lepers says, let's bury the gold. Let's take the gold and bury it. So they do that. And then, of course, he's like, oh, my goodness. We're going to get judged for this. There's people eating people at home. Right. We got to spread. So they do that. What gets me is the first guy, the hand of the king. The king's, whatever it says, it rests on this hand, right. and he, he looks to him for decisions. And he's questioning, I don't know if he's questioning Elisha. I don't know if he's undoubtful of God. But there's one of three things going on here. He either thinks Elisha's a false prophet. He th doubts God is really going to do this. Or he doubts God's creativity. Because mm -hmm. he, he does this weird call. He says, what's he going to do? Is he going to open windows up in heaven? And then out of these windows, is there going to be so much food falls, man, that the price is going to drop? Right. And I want to tell you, a prayer I want you to do going forward in 2023 is, God, heal my unbelief. Mm -hmm. Now, we can be Christians. We can be surrounded by God's power. We can be in his house and still struggle with some unbelief. Uh, someone can lay hands and say, you know, God's going to miraculously do this thing. And some of the people are going to grab that vision and be like, yes, God is able. But then some of the people are going to say, but how? Right. 
that but how questioning that we use in every part of our life healthfully is not good to use with our God. Mm. Because with God, God can shut a door of an ark and save people while destroying an earth. God can literally do miraculous. God can close lions' mouths with a man in there, hungry lions. And then the second he gets out, the bad men get thrown in. They get ate before they hit the ground. Mm-hmm. They're devoured before they hit the ground. And then it's bones and all. God can do things we don't fathom. God can do things we don't understand. So I want to encourage you this year. I want to encourage you today, not this year. Set it in yourself. Say, God, every morning, heal any unbelief in me. Give me so much faith that if I see something that would take a supernatural move of God, I have the faith to lay hands on that and pray with that belief. Uh, Someone called in recently to the ministry, and it was a financial situation. And they said they believed in God, but they were like, I just don't know about in this situation. Mm. And I told him, I was like, listen, we've seen God do supernatural things. And I'm saying that like literally things that couldn't be man, things that couldn't be flesh, things that couldn't be done again by another man. It had to be God. And I know in my life he's healed me, you know, in in physical sense. And I've seen God move in other senses. It's like that's only God. I've seen God literally soften people's hearts. I've seen God do things. It's just you can't explain it other than dad calls it. But God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when we made those little tags and everybody carried them with them, but God. And it, it's one of those things we just got to accept in ourselves. My God can do anything. So quit doubting Him, quit questioning, and just accept God is able to do exceedingly abundantly anything we could think or ask. And that's the mindset this man could have had, and he would have not been trampled. He would have been eating and carrying in the gold for the king and for the kingdom. Coming forward to chapter 8, chapter 8 is not as exciting, but um, my title for chapter 8, if I was, and I know it starts out and there is some exciting things going on there, but I'm still calling it the house of uh, Jezebel, the house of Ahab. Mm. We get a new king at the end of the chapter in Judah, and this dude, one of the first things he does, he's like, you know what? I'm going to marry the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab. Yeah, I've read that like five times. I was like, that doesn't seem like a good idea, but I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I looked up commentary like, why would he do this? And it was a lining up of the people that stood with Ahab. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you something. Instead of lining up with the people that stood with Ahab, he should have ran from that and been like, I want to line up with God. Right. Yeah. yeah so, uh, of course, the house of Ahab is prevailing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Satan's still trying. Satan's still giving it his all. What do you want to add to this chapter? Well, I mean, there's some biblical stuff that, or some historical stuff, if you will, that happens in chapter 8. We see the Shumanite woman again. We touched base in chapter 6, I think, with her. But um, just to recap, that was the woman that was housing the man of God, her and her husband. And they couldn't have a son, or they couldn't have a child. They have a son. He ends up passing away. Elisha breathes on him. He comes back to life. Like, a bunch of miraculous stuff happens. Well... During these years of famine, it's kind of like back and forth here, so it gets a little confusing, the timeline, but mm-hmm. um, he tells her, he's like, get to the land of the Philistines, because it's about to get rough. So she leaves. Well, um, land laws, whatever, what have you. She came back after seven years, and she had this land and the house, right, that she was housing him and, of course, themselves, and she had a really hard time claiming it back. So Elisha sent his servant to speak before the king and be like, deal with this, you know, justly or whatever. And so he's describing everything that happened to this woman, you know, what I just said about all these miracles. Sure enough, she and her son just show up, and he's like, there she is. There's the woman I was telling you about, King. And he said, okay, well, you know, that's proof enough for me. Give this lady back her land. We're going to make this right. So then there is the king of Syria. 
Uh, do you want to talk about that? His First, could you, or? the one thing that really touched me, could you read verse 5? Sure. Verse 5 of chapter 8 says, And it came to pass, as he was telling the king how he'd restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi, that was the servant of Elisha at that time, said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. You know, I think what broke that physical and mental wall to start all that out was the testimony. Oh, yes. So, uh... Never doubt how powerful it is, the testimony of God using you in your life. Now, we may not have the testimony of raising someone from the dead, but we got to start out with small testimony to grow to bigger stuff. Mm -hmm. And then who are we to judge small testimony? So right. always know what God's done in your life is worth talking about. Oh, yeah. That, that, was, that was my big thing that spoke to me uh, in chapter 8. Go ahead. So Elisha goes to Damascus, right? That's referenced many times. And the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, was terribly ill. It doesn't say, like, what his symptoms were. We're not here, WebMD, to diagnose him. But it was pretty severe. It was so severe oh, yeah. that he actually um, ends up sending his servant, Haziel. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But to ask Elisha, am I going to live or not? Like, what's the deal here? Because he was a man of God. And he's like, he'll know. So Haziel goes to Elisha. And Elisha says the most bizarre thing in verse... I want to say, okay, 10. So Haziel's asking, you know, is my master going to live? And Elisha said unto him, go say unto him, thou mayst certainly recover. Howbeit, the Lord has shown me that he shall surely die. And it's like, what is this? this is, a, is this a joke? Like, what are you talking about, Elisha? He may live, but he showed you personally he's going to die. So then Elisha breaks down and starts crying. So Haziel's like, why are you crying? What is going on? Like, are you, you don't even know this man. And Elisha's like, you know, the Lord's shown me what kind of evil you're going to bring upon Israel. He answers him in um, verse 12 and says, because I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. Their strongholds wilt thou set on fire. Their young men wilt thou slay with the sword and will dash their children and rip up their women with child. So Haziel's like, what are you talking about? I am a servant. Am I really going to do all this evil? And he's like, the Lord showed me you're going to be king next. So Haziel goes back to Ben-Hadad. And so Ben-Hadad's like, okay, okay, am I going to live? Am I going to live? So sure enough, in verse 14, he says, He told me that thou shouldest surely recover. And then the very next day, this man rises up and kills Ben-Hadad terribly. And I'm just like, what? this poor man, like, why are we coming against him? So it was, it was true, though. It he was. recovered from his sickness. Right. So God's like, his sickness, he'll recover from and he won't die from it. <laughs> but he will be horrifically mutilated in an assassination. Yes, basically officiated, officiated yeah. if I could speak, or smothered. So that was pretty rough. That was rancid. I love how when you're talking about how the king married the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, uh, verse, I know you want to get into this, surely, verse 19, it said, Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for David his servant's sake, as he promised him to give him all way a light and to his children. So even though the king did this thing, this stupid thing, why? Why would you marry a descendant of Ahab? Like, poor choices, bro. The promise of the Lord still stood fast. Even when we're not faithful to the Lord and his promises, the Lord is always faithful to us. And I love that. He made this promise to David and, what was it, Samuel? Mm -hmm. And still, we're seeing it here, Second Kings, the faithfulness of the Lord. You can't kill a promise. Pastor actually touches on that in his book. 
unbelievable thing. And if you read verse 19 and you kind of break it down and look into it, what he's saying is there is a horrific enough thing happening here mm-hmm. where I should destroy them. Mm-hmm. There is a bad enough thing happening here where I should wipe them all out. This is the point to where I look and say, you all should die. Mm. How many are thankful he died for our sins? Because right now there is no deserving of salvation in my life. A lot of this is just foreshadowing for us. Oh yeah. But because of a promise, but because of a price paid, but because of a Savior. And if you look at the these people of Israel under this kingship, not all of them are as bad as Jeroham. Right. Not all of them are as bad as this dude. And let's say Jeroham isn't the evil terrible, terrible dictator, but he just marries into something horrific. Let's take that approach. The people are still in deserving of death Mm -hmm. because of what's happening right now. But because of a price paid, because of a promise made, they don't have to. And you're in that same boat. You know, 19 is my, uh, when I was reading, I was like, oh, that's my salvation verse. That's me. I could be that. I could be in that situation. But I am in that situation, but God died for me. And he bled for my sins, and he's changing me, and he's working on me. You know, we're in our January fast right now. If you're watching this in January, hope you're fasting something with us, doing a self-sacrifice, drawing nigh to God. If you're watching this down the road, you don't have to fast in January. Fast any time of the year. But what we're doing is we're sacrificing something in ourselves to get closer to God, trying to kill some unbelief, trying to kill some flesh, trying to change some of us and let our spirit man and soul man grow and be more like him. God's given us all these promises, and His promises are yea and amen, but our flesh is constantly trying to intervene and stop these promises. Mm -hmm. And God says, you know, sometimes it should, but I am here to keep that true. I am here to meet my end of the side. So this book, we're still giving it away. Unbelievable. Pastor and my mom wrote this. Uh, We'll put the link in the description. You can kill a promise. Yeah, uh, Verse 19, I got all emotional when I hit that one. I, was I knew like, when I read that, I was like, ooh, Micah, Micah like this verse. Yeah. We'll talk about it more later, just us, but like, my goodness, it, it's such a foreshadowing of, of the crucifixion. It's such a foreshadowing of a, an innocent baby come. I don't know. Uh, D- David come here years before this. Like, we're way, 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 way ahead of David's timeline. Mm-hmm. But that promise had made back then. And God could have chosen anyone to bring his lineage out of. But that repentiveness of David, don't ever underestimate how powerful true repentance is. Don't ever underestimate how we can truly change with God. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm turning it over back to you. Yeah, that's pretty much, I stopped at 19 because I was like, man, that's, I'm like, whoa. Like, that's just the fact that the scriptures even bring that back up and reference. It's like, you know, and and they didn't have to. And I'm glad that, you know, the Lord saw fit to add that where this man was obviously making a very great mistake. And the Lord was like, you know what? I have a promise to your father, his father, his father, like, you know, all the way back. It's just mind-blowing to me that when, you know, like you said, our flesh is like constantly trying to, you know, almost like self-sabotage, even subconsciously, the Lord is still so faithful. I just see his faithfulness all through the Old Testament, which is interesting because a lot of times if you're not in the Old Testament studying, a lot of people are like, man, Old Testament God, he was mean. It's like, No, he was faithful, and he was very good, and he was performing miracles right and left. Mike asked me yesterday, I think it was, he's like, if you could have additional information, like in Bible times, what would you have? And I'm like, oh, miracles of Jesus, easy, because they say in the New Testament, well, if we wrote down all his miracles, you know, the books and the volumes, I'm like, 
Wah. write it down. I want to read it. Like, I want to know what was going on. Like, but um, we kind of skim over a lot of the miracles that are happening in the Old Testament. You know, Sunday school, we highlight it. We have Noah and the Ark. We have the splitting of the Red Sea. You know, we're just hitting the highlights. But the Lord is literally, it's been like chapter after chapter after chapter of miraculous event. And I don't know, just see that is so eye-opening because you hear one thing growing up and then you read it and you're like, wow, God's good. He's mm-hmm. doing miracles. I think um, I'm, I'm still moving forward with Led by the Word, but I'm going to definitely read through, again, the stories of Elijah and Elisha. we got a kid in our Sunday school who adores Elijah, and he's, like, obsessed with him and is always talking about this. I, I'm all in on Elisha. I, it's just been amazing. But, you know, I'm just going to end it with this. You can't kill a promise. You can try. You can put forth your effort. We think of the evil that's prevailing. Elijah's on this mountain. He's fighting with Ahab. Mm -hmm. And he wins. And the victory comes. Okay, the evil's done. No, Jezebel's going to do her thing. But then there's a son. But then there's another son. Mm -hmm. But then we go through another king and another king. And then, boom, the daughter comes into play. And we're like, the evil is just prevailing and it's going and it's going. And if we are silly as Christians, we'll get so focused on the evil. Mm -hmm. When in reality... There is a promise that's touched on that's more powerful than any, anything, the evil that could be done by the enemy. And his promises are yea and amen, and they are literally unstoppable. Amen. So thankful for that. Uh, please take a moment, like this, comment, share this with a friend. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, new stuff happening, but we've got Chloe. Chloe's been making some youth videos. Mm-hmm. So tune in, listen to one of those. We have those on our youth TikTok. Mm-hmm. Oasis lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm sorry. My mind's moving. So it's on our youth TikTok, and we also have them on our Facebook page. Yes. So tune in. Give us some uh, looks there. Also, Dad went viral Sunday. They posted a video of him on the Holy Ghost. Unbelievable. Uh, so many people were in there were asking questions. I was looking at the comments. They were showing me today. The team was, and it was like, look, people are curious with questions about the Holy Ghost. And I was like, this is what Dad wants. Uh I saw a pastor down in Florida. He shared it, and he said, "Would the real Holy Ghost please stand up?" And it was going big. And I, it, it's it's a good sermon. Take a moment and tune into that. Also, the most convicting sermon I've ever heard in my life. I was sitting where Jesse was, and over here behind me is another one of our sets, and that's where Dad records TV. And Mitchell over here, he's behind the camera. He was here with me. He was recording for the Word and all of our large stations. An unbelievably convicting sermon. Be praying for that. If you would like to be a part of the prayer group that prays for our TV, it's called Gideon's 300. Mm-hmm. Uh, you text a number yes. and you become a part of that. And I, I challenge you to do that. I know I get a lot of people texting me. It's like, hey, it's prayer time. We got to be ready to pray. So um, we'll put that number on the screen as well. Mitchell's got a cool graphic for that. Thank you so much for tuning in. Like and share this. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for joining Anthony Wynn Ministries. If you'd like to see more, join us for our Miracle Night Prayer Service. Miracle Night happens every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we join together in prayer and watch God move. If you'd like to participate in Miracle Night or join us for our other projects, you can follow us at Oasis Ministries on Facebook or follow us at Anthony Wynn on YouTube. We also want to say a special thank you to our partners of Anthony Wynn Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to give free ministry material to those in need. If you aren't already a partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. 
You can become a partner through our website at anthonywin.org or calling 1-877-226-4088. And lastly, if you ever need prayer, please call us at 1-877-226-4088 or go to our website at anthonywin.org. Thank you and God bless.